This week on Tech Radio is We Work Wonky. Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio. Every week online and on air with RT Radio, we bring you the very latest in tech. You're welcome to episode 982. This week, could WeWork be in trouble? Some more brilliant internet deepfakes and Zoom gives us the most ironic story of the week. This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. Joining us, as always, is our Tech Central Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson. Niall, I suppose we'll start with WeWork because that was one of the, the the big stories of the last 10 years, the big internet startup, and you were able to share an office and go in with your laptop and do all kinds of cool things and drink expensive coffee and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it took a big hit during the pandemic, uh, and now it's not looking good. What's the story? It's not looking good at all. The the old song, brother, can you spare a dime? Not too far off the actual value of a WeWork share at the moment. Uh, I checked it this morning and it was 13 cents a share. Can you believe that? From a company that was valued at $100 billion not too long ago, uh, it is now worth a pittance. Um, still losing money, not likely to make money anytime soon. And um, Unfortunately, the Japanese tech giant SoftBank, who have been basically keeping the thing afloat, um, they're, they're not, it's pretty embarrassing from their perspective. They're not rolling. What do you think has led to this sudden drop in share price? Okay, there's a couple of things involved. One is failed flotation in 2019 of the company. Uh, a lot of things happening in the background. I can't get into it in, in sort of any detail within the space that we have uh, allotted, but a failed IPO in 2019, an eventual IPO in 2021. Um, but pandemic hits um, people generally don't want to rent overpriced office space because they're all working from home. And WeWork had pitched itself with some very interesting figures. It basically said our valuation is based on a potential audience of millions, right? A potential market of millions. But instead of looking at people that were, say, home workers or people in startups or anything like that, they looked at entire populations of people who worked in offices and basically said, Do you know what? If you work in an office, you're going to work in a WeWork in a fairly, fairly short space of time. We are changing everything. So, you know, also the idea of WeWork as a tech company is completely ridiculous. Um, WeWork sublets office space. Let's just boil it down to this. It's a property company. It's not a tech company. I mean, they really wanted tech bros to come and pay 390 euro a month in Dublin uh, for an office space that its competitors are charging roughly 100 euro a month less, in some cases 200 euro a month less if you happen to work outside Dublin. So massively overpriced, uh, deeply in hock because they took out long-term leases on very expensive buildings that they can't make any money back on. The only thing that's interesting about WeWork anymore is that you get your WeWork thing and you're a member and you can use any WeWork space. But even then, I mean, you can have sort of the general, as I said, 390 euro a month uh, space, hot desk with a barista, not 
an individual barista, but you know what I mean. All the all the bells and whistles of a, a big tech chocolate factory. Or you can spend $470, €470 Euro a month for your own desk for a month that you can point and go, that's my spot. Um, completely, uh, unfortunately, a business model that did not survive the pandemic. Um, it was a disaster waiting to happen. And guess what? Uh, it actually is. Well, there we go. So the demise of WeWork uh, under our very eyes this week. Uh, the other reason I think not just the pandemic uh, killed off WeWork, but I think that uh, TV series we crashed didn't help. <laughs> oh, yes, Jared yes. Leto, and he just looked like a complete th- the words we can't say on the on, on, on the radio, but whoever that didn't help. Other stories this week, um, deep fakes on the Internet. Now, this is kind of really interesting. And I think we both have different ways of looking at this story. We had a thing uh, a while ago where uh, somebody did a mashup of The Weeknd and Drake. But of course, it wasn't the real Weeknd or Drake. It was an AI generated uh, fake version of them and they put them together. And this has started a whole, whoa, conversation and lawsuits and goodness knows what else, which is starting to make news this week. Tell us. Yeah, well, two stories to do with, I, I guess, deep fakes of, of various kinds. Um, let's look at one first one involving Google, because they both kind of involve Google to a certain extent. Um, one of the things that we're, well, I personally am very fond of is a novelty cover. You know, somebody that you don't expect singing a song that you really don't associate with them with. And Johnny Cash became the master of that when he went to work with Rick Rubin for his, uh, was it American Songs, uh, Volumes 1 to 4. And he had things like um, Nine Inch Nails Hurt, for example. That was kind of the the, the net plus ultra of, of that cycle of, of albums. And under sort of Google's new, uh, new initiative, I guess, you can have anyone singing any song based on sort of deep fakery. So an example that was given in the Ars Technica article covering it was you could have Johnny Cash singing Barbie Girl, effectively. I actually have that here. Do you want to take a listen? Oh, go on. Yes. I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. Life in plastic, it's fantastic. You can brush my hair, undress me everywhere. Oh, come on, Barbie, let's go party, because I'm in a Barbie world. So what do you reckon in that? Yeah, that's Folsom Prison Blues um, with Barbie Girl uh, strapped on top of it, you know, complete with the crowd noises in the background as well. But an um, AI, it's an AI, Johnny Cash. Yeah. I think yeah. that's amazing because there are so many AI voiceover services and whatever, and a lot of them are rubbish. 99% of them are rubbish, all right? This one has not only taken Johnny Cash's voice, but it's made the voice sing and it's made it sing incredibly well. It's It's scary. It's still the same melody. Uh, and I think that is part of what the music labels are interested in. They want uh, artists to be able to copyright their voices and they want to be able to copyright melodies. Now, melodies, lyrics, very kind of problematic uh, in one sense. Um, however, being able to copyright your voice, I think, is a fascinating problem. and. 
one that I certainly think there's scope for, um, certainly scope for legal action, because this is this is something that is completely unique to yourself. I mean, somebody could do a deep fake of this conversation of you chatting to me. And, you know, I think it would be perfectly reasonable for us to go, hang on, this, this you know, is based on data that was gathered without our consent. Um, this is, you know, our voice, our, you know, uh, our style is effectively an intellectual property. What the hell are you doing? And also there's misrepresentation. So we've had lots of, I think, was it was it Greta Thunberg was reading Mein Kampf or something like that. Uh, somebody did a deep fake on that. And of course, they've done all kinds of deep fakes with Donald Trump and, and, and whatever else. Some of them funny, but and we're messing around with it. You know, the Internet is playing with it. But if somebody actually put that to use as in to misrepresent a politician being in the wrong place at the wrong time, saying the wrong thing, that could be massively uh, uh, damaging. But it's an interesting point. So the record companies want to, they're used to copyright and they're used to copywriting uh, melodies. uh, They're used to copywriting music uh, recordings. They're used to copywriting uh, lyrics and all that kind of artwork, all that kind of stuff. Now they want to extend that copyright to the actual voice of the performer. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a fascinating development, a bit of a sad development as well, that this has to be done, but potentially for musicians' estates, um, you might be looking at adding some longevity perhaps to their back catalogue. So say if somebody hears Johnny Cash for the first time singing Barbie Girl, maybe just maybe they develop an interest in the Johnny Cash back catalogue, which is huge. So maybe that can become a, a revenue generator here. But it is that argument of it's good exposure and Johnny Cash does not need exposure. Um, <laughs> he doesn't need anything. <laughs> he doesn't need anything. He's not terribly worried. Um, I, I am quite concerned about this because there is that element of misrepresentation. And when it comes to, um, you know, at a political level, on a personal level, misrepresent, misrepresentation can be immensely damaging, uh, not least to said back catalogues. Um, however, when it comes to people making YouTube videos, for example, um, where they might just happen to have music on in the background or something like that, that can potentially affect your monetization. Um, for me, because people are playing around with this at the moment, the benchmark is always who's making money off this. If it's, you know, two guys making, you know, making the Drake and Weekend collaboration, it's kind of a, a, a shop window for, look, we can do this with AI. Uh, by the way, this is made with AI and, you know, you put your, your watermark on it or whatever. Uh, just to show that, you know, it's a, it's a proof concept as much as anything. If you're starting to sell songs ostensibly by artists, um, you know, novelty covers or indeed original content, uh, which is another thing that, that we'll talk about in a little bit, in a, a little bit, um, you are into seriously problematic territory. I mean, could you imagine like in years to come, you'd, you might hear a song on the radio and you'd go, do you know who would do a great version of that? Johnny Cash. <laughs> and you go and you make it yourself and you release it to SoundCloud and it becomes a viral sensation. And what do you do? I th- I think it's worrying that the record company wants to license to copyright. I, I understand copywriting an artist's voice, so it can't be reproduced without permission. But I think what they are also thinking of making that artist's voice available so that other people can use it. 
And I think maybe in a very controlled way, because at the moment uh, it's very controlled how you can use uh, commercial music. So anything like U2 or whoever uh, in a movie or in a TV show, you have to go through so many jump hoops and whatever to do it. If you had to do that with an artist's voice and the artist had, you know, kind of a say over how it was used and what was said, you can kind of maybe possibly understand that. But, you know, to put it out willy nilly freely in the world and just say, yeah, hey, do you want to buy Bono's voices? Five ninety nine. He'll sing anything. That's mm, a bit, you yeah. know, worrying. Um, don't mind you, Bono does sing anything. Um, but that's another story, right? Uh, the other thing that I think is really interesting about this whole deep fakery thing is that it's shining a light on the whole Hollywood actors and writers strike, which is going on at the minute. And this is exactly what they are talking about. Because if you're an actor now, I mean. You, Say you're Tom Cruise, okay? And they could make an AI version of Tom Cruise and they could perfect it and then but, but they don't have to pay in the millions anymore, right? Not likely to happen, you say. But what if you are an actor who's like 19 and you're just getting into the industry, all right? And you get your first big break and the big movie company says, yeah, yeah, sign this contract, blah, blah, blah. Don't worry, don't read it. It's not important. It's all in your interest. And one of the clauses in there, we retain the right to use an artificial intelligence copy of your image and voice in perpetuity. That's what the movie companies are asking at the moment. Well, now here's a, here's a solution uh, that I've just thought of. What if you take that control out of the movie studios and put it in the hands of agents? Because Bruce Willis did uh, an ad that used a deep fake either earlier this year or last year. Um, and it was very much the, the artist in control of their visage, which means that, you know, you could potentially be doing 100 ads a year. All you've done is licensed your, your appearance and you can go and do things that are much more valuable to your career or much more um uh, intellectually fulfilling, like yeah. theatre or something like that. Mm. Um, I think there's some merit in that. We do that in podcasting where we are able to clone a guest's voice or a presenter's voice to a certain extent uh, and we are able to replace something that that person said or that it wasn't very clear, we're able to make it clearer. Or if they, you know, mentioned a phone number or a particular fact and it was wrong, we're able to go back and correct that with an AI voice. Um, now, generally, the only time we use it is for two seconds or three seconds and, you know, kind of tied in with everything else. You wouldn't really notice it. But it's just, listen, we, we, we could talk about this all day, but it's just that story with the universe of wanting to monetize the deep fakes of their artists is, and the Hollywood actor strike and everything that's going on at the moment is just fascinating. The world is turning upside down all around us. It's not just the weather that's changing this whole, you know, kind of when the internet came along, whenever it was 20, 30 years ago, that changed everything. This whole AI thing and how it's being used and where it's being put to use is changing everything as well. Which kind of leads me on to the, the next story where Google is all making... I think quite a good point where they want to have a Google AI be able to scrape the internet and read books. But of course, they can't read copyrighted books without permission. And to do that book by book is just a nightmare. Um, so they're asking the lawmakers for the right to be able to scrape books and then authors and copyright holders, etc., would have to opt out as in, you know, they keep talking about that, like, you know, kind of for organ, organ donation. So they want to make it so that instead of opting in and carrying an, an organ, an organ 
donor card that it's the opposite. You are automatically an organ donor unless you carry a card saying, no, thanks, I want to keep my liver. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, here's the thing. Um, GDPR nightmare straight away because (laughs) as we know, thanks to GDPR, everything has to be opt in. If you want your personal data used for behavioural advertising, opt in. Um, Google wants to scrape copyrighted works and for, you know, their benefit, ultimately, you have to do the legwork and opt out. What a load of nonsense. Do you know what they're calling it? They're, they're, they're calling it a fair use clause. It's not fair use if it's being sold. Exactly. They are using that information to improve their AI, which they will be making money out of one way or the other. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, let me let me raise a um, uh, a cautionary tale um, that uh, happened over the weekend. A gentleman by the name of Benji Smith. Um, he basically took twenty five thousand books from across the internet and used it to train his AI called Shakespeare, which he was using uh, going to use in conjunction with uh, his own version of word for writers. Okay. And all of a sudden people were like finding their books that they'd written. Um, uh, actually the name of his software was prosecraft.io. And people went up and they were like, hang on, there's my book. Or there's Stephen King's book. Or yeah, here's Judy Pico's book. Uh, finding loads of books that there's no way they would have been submitted um, or have, consent would have been given for this project. So there was a groundswell of criticism, uh, at which point uh, Mr. Smith said, okay, right, I'm, I'm taking it down. Sorry, um, you know, mea culpa kind of a thing. And people were saying, well, hang on, it's, an, it's not enough to take it down, delete the data. Um, when last I checked, there was no comment on whether the data had actually been deleted. Um, that's that's hugely problematic. Um, it's, you know, first off, people did not consent to be part of this project. They don't know if, the, if their data has been treated appropriately. This is exactly the kind of thing GDPR is here to protect us against. Uh, and, you know, it's, you have to go beyond lesson learned when it comes to this sort of project. It ha- there has to be an awareness amongst AI developers that just because you can do something, uh, it doesn't mean you're entitled to do something. Uh, I think that's a huge problem that uh, will need to be addressed. As I say, it's the world is changing all around us. And these are all of the big issues of the day that are, that are going to have to get sorted out. I'm interested to know is once we've sorted them out, what will be the next big issues? <laughs> What's coming in 20 years time? It's it's fascinating, isn't it? Uh, all the news. Well, we got it. We got another one. Uh, yeah. The, the, um, we, we, we mentioned we work and I should have tied this in at the, at the same time as we work. Uh, the most ironic news story of the week is that Zoom the company that led the entire pandemic working from home revolution, if you want to put it that way, is now making their own workers come back to the office. Yeah, yeah. And this is this is hilarious. I mean, do you work within 50 miles of Zoom? Well, guess what? If you do, they want you back for two days in a week. Within 50 miles. 
I have to say, I really agree with Zoom on this one because I really like that hybrid working model where you get two days in the office, you get three days at home or whatever the other way around, and you're getting a mix. And because when you're working at home all the time, it can be a little bit isolating if, you know, you're just there with your family. Um, and even if you're not isolated and you're quite happy doing it, you're not having contact with your co-workers. And that human face-to-face contact is, is really important. So I agree with the hybrid thing. And I suppose, actually, it, it is a bit... I've, oh, I know we're taking the mic out of Zoom and um, forcing people back to the office. But actually, if you don't force people to do things, nothing will get done. We suggest you pay your taxes. Ah. <laughs> mm. I don't know. I'm... I'm uh, I'm enjoying the irony here that mm, after so what three years of facilitating hybrid work, three years of just saying go home, get your stuff done, after the studies have come back saying, do you know what? No effect on productivity, um, and you don't have presenteeism in the office. This just smacks of middle managers looking to be busy. Don't talk about middle management or you're just going to get into a whole world of... It's true, though. I know it is, but we can't go there. (laughs) Don't start. Middle managers... Easy to say because we don't manage anyone. Well, exactly. But I've had middle, middle managers before and they've all been horrid. Though, mind you, there is one exception and that is middle managers who listen to tech radio every week are all genuinely sound people. They're awesome and well informed. The other reason uh, Zoom is in the news today is because they changed their terms and conditions last March because they're bringing in a feature. And this is kind of handy, right? Uh, You can have these AIs join your Zoom conference type meetings or Google Meet or Teams or whatever it is. All right. And it shows up as another, you know, guest or member of of the call, which I think is a bit naff looking. Um, But Zoom have changed it so that the AI can now monitor a call without it actually being part of it or recording the call. And then it can summarize it for you and give you the points and the action points and all Hmm. that kind of stuff. All right. But the terms and conditions last March were just a little bit vague and it's making people worried. Worried about what, Dusty? Worried that Zoom AI will now listen to all of their calls without their knowledge. And that Zoom could use that information or more importantly, what people are worried about is that Zoom will use those calls to train their AI. Yeah, yeah. Without without their permission. Well, possibly with their permission in the fine print. That's why it got a little bit vague and that's why people are are worried. Do you know what I mean? And Zoom are kind of going, no, 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 it's not that. You have to opt in and it has to be get the AI to. But it doesn't quite say that in black and white. So that's that's a little bit of an issue that's being thrown up. That's how you're that's how Facebook got in trouble with Europe. They didn't make it clear and obvious what you can do and what you can't do. Last story of the week, uh, Bing is uh, now available on Chrome and Safari, not just on Microsoft Edge. When you say Bing, this is like the chat GPT version of Bing. Yes. Well, well, Bing actually is running off uh, chat GPT 4. Aha. Uh-huh. So it's an even better version of the open AI version that you're able to access that way. And it's uh, got more up-to-date information in it. However, it's good a marketing thing as it is to have a little Chrome extension or Safari or whatever to be able to use it there. There are restrictions. You get the full-blown experience on Edge. You get a reduced experience on, on other browsers, including 
less words per prompt. Uh, you don't get a chat history. There's a couple of other things. Um, but it's interesting that they are uh, they are doing it. I've got other things to say about Bing. I'm going to keep that for next week because I think I'm going to shock you. But anyway, that's, that's a whole other story. Listen, on that note, shall we wrap it up there for uh, this week? Because it is August. And we want to get out there and enjoy the summer. <laughs> we've, we've talked enough. We've bored people into submission. Stop it. Niall, thanks for keeping us up to date with all the news this week. This is Tech Radio. And that is it. We are back again next Friday on RT Radio 1 Extra. And of course, you can get new episodes automatically by clicking follow on your podcast player. On to next time from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson. Take care. Tech Radio is produced by DustPod.io. From me, Artemis, goodbye.